Here we are, over four years into Podular Modcast, and we are at episode 200, and I'm so, so excited about that. So thank you for uh, joining us today. We've got a great episode. Tony Rolando is back for the third time, and I'm just so, so grateful for uh, for Tony to give me some, some more of his time, and I think we have, I feel, one of our best conversations, um, you know, because we just know each other better, and yeah, but we'll get into all that. Um, I just want to mention really quick that Podular Modcast and Friends is now out. I think as of the time of me recording this, there is less than 30 vinyl available. So if you would like to uh, get a great baby blue vinyl featuring tracks from Lisa Belladonna, Daedalus, Sarah Bell Reed, Space Racer, Lemon Jaya, and myself, well, then I would act fast. All proceeds go to... Uh, a, an organization called Mary's Place, which helps children, families, and women get out of houselessness. So you're uh, you're doing a good thing. And also digital sales go to that as well. Um, we have recouped costs, and we are well into donation territory. So if you want to help out with that, head over to mysterycircles.bandcamp.com. This track that you hear playing below me is actually my remix from the Lemon Jaya track. So side B is uh, just my remixes of the side A tracks. And uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. I'm so excited. I will have my actual physical copy hopefully by the end of this week. Um, and that's, that's very exciting for me. So once again, mysterycircles.bandcamp.com for the Podular Modcast and Friends album. I also want to take a moment to thank Patchworks for being my longest running sponsor. They've been sponsors since I think the beginning of the show. Um, and you know how much I love Patchworks and everybody over there. Um, and if you're not in the Pacific Northwest or can't make it up here, you can always go to their website, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. And, and there you can find all sorts of stuff, including all the make noise stuff. In fact, that's where I got my morphogene. Um, I also got my mimeophone there. Um, yeah, so they have they have everything. Patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Also, my second longest-running sponsor, After Later Audio. Thank you so much to Lenny and Clarissa over there at After Later Audio for their continued support of the show. It's pretty crazy to get to this point and have these long-term... Uh, relationships that are mutually beneficial. So head over to afterlateraudio.com to, to learn more about all the cool original designs that we have. Um, and and I'm, I'm working on another one. Remember the Bleep Bloop 2000? It was kind of a jokey thing. Well, I've got an, I'm, I'm working on something else. That's all I'll say. It's going to be cool. But yeah, head over to afterlateraudio.com. Okay, why don't we get going with this show? Episode 200. I never get tired of this theme song, um, and I feel like I don't mention who it is often enough. That This theme song was made years ago, over four years ago, by my good buddy Greg Markle, uh, a.k.a. The Animals at Night, who uh, recently released some new music, which I'm a big fan of Greg's music. Uh, obviously, I'm using one of his tracks, but he, he did create it for the show. Um, anyways, thank you, Greg. I'm going to do a lot of thank yous. There's going to be, this is kind of going to be a, a, a sappy 
nostalgia-infused episode. Throughout the whole thing, we've got Tony Rolando back for the third time to Podular Modcast to talk about his album, Breaking is a Memory, and I absolutely adore this album, and we're going to get into all sorts of uh, nitty-gritty details about the writing, recording, and uh, philosophy behind it. So, yeah, we're going to do that momentarily, but we have some stuff to talk about first because this is a, a big day for me. It's a big, it's a big celebratory day for me. So the old Tim, who was actually younger than the current Tim, so that's kind of weird, but the old Tim would have said there's nothing intrinsically more special about 200 than 199, say, Um, and I'm just going to have to respectfully disagree with him there. Um, I'm choosing to have this be special because uh, I like landmarks. I like doing things that are celebratory. Uh, You know, I like a good, I like a good holiday just for any excuse to have fun with friends and family. Anyways, I'm drifting so far off of the point here. Um, I was going to talk about how much I've changed and learned and have grown as a person um, over the last four years with the help of Podular Modcast. It's been been instrumental in that. Um, But clearly, I still haven't uh, evolved past my... (laughs) incessant need to explain myself. <laughs> uh, still working on that one. But I'm going to make a pledge to you right now. I'm never going gang. I'm never going to do that again. And here, let me explain why I made that decision. Um, okay, moving on. Um, still, I don't think dad jokes will ever not be a thing. Okay, in all seriousness, I, uh, I want to get, I want to just get to a few things because, um, today's episode's pretty long. Tony was, uh, kind enough to, uh, also think of some questions for me for episode 200. So that's going to come at the end of the episode. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I try to wrap up the episode a few times, but then I also have new questions that I want to ask him. So it, it, it does feel like it's going to wrap up much sooner than it does, but I think it's worth the, uh, the extra time uh, that we take on this week's episode. I think we're, we're probably going to approach close to two hours. I also thought it would be pretty fun to bring the pod mother, Hannah herself, back on the show. I've talked a lot about Hannah, shared a lot of our stories, our, our adventures together, and she's been on the hand, the, on the pod, on the hand. I almost said handcast. She needs to start her own podcast called The Handcast. Um, but yeah, she's come on the podcast a number of times. So she's going to actually ask me a few questions as well. So I'm excited to see what she can think up because she knows me better than anybody in the world. And, uh, you know, she's obviously very close to the pod mod world. So, uh, um, yeah kind of curious to see what she's going to ask me. We're going to get to that in a few moments. But first, let me just say thank you to everybody who is currently listening, who has been listening since the beginning, uh, or anywhere in between now and then. This show, obviously, I wouldn't have any reason to make it if no one listened to it. Um, and it's just, it's been such a rewarding experience to to you know, meet so many of you, whether in person or uh, via the social media avenues. Um, it's it's uh, it's just so enriching. It's it's so thank you, thank you for listening and enjoying the show. Um, also, huge huge thank you to anybody who supports me on Patreon. That is the best way to uh, support the podcast. Actually, it's the main way to support the podcast. It is the lifeblood of the podcast. This the show literally could not. Um, exist without it. So um, I know I thank you guys regularly and uh, I just, I just want to do it again and try to, I need to like 
write, try to write something out, write some drafts to that I feel like could actually capture the, um, like the gravity of what I actually feel. Cause I feel like just saying thank you isn't enough. Um, or just, you know, saying how much I appreciate it. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's very weird to be honest. It's a, it's a strange thing and, um, it's a hard thing to wrap my head around, but it, it is so, so meaningful. You're, you're literally making it so I can do this. And I love doing this so much. Obviously I've been doing it for over four years and, um, I just, I, there's, I don't see any end in sight. I want to keep going, but I, I really can't do it without the Patreon. So thank you. Um, and if you would like to help, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. Okay. Let's get into, um, to Hannah, the pod mother's questions for me. Hi everyone. It's been a while since you've been on. I think so. When was the last time you think you were on? Mm, probably a Christmas episode, maybe not this year, but the year before. Maybe. I think we also did our own like pandemic bonus episode when we were driving home in like 2020. Oh, right. Yeah, yes. That may have been the last time. Um, a lot has changed since then. Sure has. <laughs> different house, different job. You want to tell us about your new job? Uh, sure. Yeah. I just... Uh, became the horticulture manager for Pacific Science Center in uh, at Seattle Center in Seattle. That is one of the most, like, cultural, one of the most, yeah, culturally significant places in the city of Seattle, I would say. I think so. Yeah, it's kind of the, what you, when you think of Seattle, it's kind of the, the, the I hub, mean, that's the where the Space Needle is. That's where the Space Needle is, yep. And the Arches, that's part of the Science Center, so that's my... My domain, mm-hmm. and I'm uh, running the Tropical Butterfly House there, so I'm living in a, working in a tropical wonderland. Which definitely beats uh, having to, at your previous job with the city of Seattle, while everyone got the day off when it snowed. I was they, out there shoveling sidewalks. You had to go shovel sidewalks. <laughs> Mandatory shoveling sidewalks. You went from like one of the most like blue, like... It doesn't sound like it when you say city of Seattle, uh, urban gardener, but you did some like seriously blue collar stuff. You know how to do a chainsaw. Didn't you do cha- uh, training on snowplow driving as well? Snowplow driving, chainsaw training and using chainsaws, um, setting up traffic control, uh, <laughs> throughout the city. Um, yeah, very different, very different work environment now. I yeah, you're going from like the uh, like kind of more of like a construction-y vibe with a bunch of dudes to like an academic, mm-hmm. um, scientific, progressive place. So I imagine that's pretty relieving. Oh, it's just the best. It's just the best. I walked in, there's like, you know, dinosaur figurines around. There's a planetarium. <laughs> there's going to be a tide pool there's uh, i mean like I'm, I'm discovering new things there every day yeah so it's it, it's just a space of discovery space for curiosity space for wonder and excitement and yeah it's it's pretty spectacular well congratulations i'm so proud of you thank you um well podular modcast is also a place of wonder and discovery <laughs> did you like that transition yeah there? um and you're 
I don't I want to say it was your idea, but it was probably my idea. But we talked about you coming on because it'd been so long and say, oh, yeah, it's episode 200. It's kind of fun. Let's let's get Hannah back on. Yeah. So um, it's a big deal. It's also a big part of my life, even though you do all of it. It's still, <laughs> it still takes up space in my life. So I'm happy to come by and visit and say hi. What has been the best part of being the wife of 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 somebody who has a podcast about modular synthesis more specifically this podcast i guess i mean the fame and fortune of course <laughs> easy yeah fame and fortune <laughs> it's not the answer i thought you were gonna say mm. i'm shallow mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thought for sure you'd say all the wonderful people you've met <laughs> i mean they're okay too <laughs> i like you guys too <laughs> And thank you for providing all the fame and fortune in my life. <laughs> uh, just for the listener, the fame and fortune thing is definitely a, a, oh, I'm, a huge joke. Yes, yeah. that's 100% a joke. I don't want to mislead anybody. We bought a house in Tacoma, not Seattle. <laughs> if any of you know these cities, I'll help you decide, understand what we're talking about. And if you really know these cities, we are in South Tacoma, and that should be even more telling. <laughs> We love our little home. We do love our home. We lucked out. Um, So I understand that you have some questions for me. I got a couple questions for you. I like that you pulled out your phone. You have like a word. You have like a document with questions. Yeah. I love it. I do. Um, I'm a professional now. Oh, yes. So I I come prepared. What do you think that you've learned about yourself from doing the podcast? Oh, I like that question. Um, Well, I'm going to be a little self-deprecating. And, uh, but I think it was important for me to know. Um, I think what I learned is that it's kind of like a little package deal here, but one of the things is I am not nearly as eloquent as I thought I was. I thought I was a very eloquent person, very well spoken and had command of the English language and not only just the vocabulary, but you know, being able to construct interesting sentences in real time. And after listening to myself for four years, that is just not the case because mm. I am all over the place. Like, I think if I weren't to go on tangents, I could be, you know, close to as eloquent as maybe I thought I was, mm-hmm. but it's just, that's absolutely not true. Well, maybe if you were focused, if you had like a topic or like a, a, um, something that you were, well, it trying to I always on the way to the thing that I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. I there's always a million detours that I feel are um, are absolutely essential for me to be fully understood. I have mm-hmm. this thing of like, I really, really want to be fully understood. I see. Um, and I want to and I want my thoughts to come out to be fully like baked. And <laughs> it's. So much that it's to a fault. I feel like that also describes your actions as well, like how you (laughs) conduct yourself. Like you're never like a a straight (laughs) arrow when you try to do a task or something. You always have to follow every tangent on your way to complete or do a task as well. Yeah, for sure. So your your vocabulary, your your vernacular reflects that Mm -hmm. (laughs) as well. ADD is... uh, is a hell of a, a hell of a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and what do you enjoy most about the process of doing a podcast? The fame and the fortune. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I, I mentioned it in this interview that we're about to get in with, with Tony um, and maybe even in the intro for the podcast, but um, the most rewarding thing, and I think it took the pandemic to really highlight this for me, but um, the fact that I get to have one-on-one conversations and give my and give and receive um, undivided attention, just a one-on-one long form with with very interesting people, like obviously the most mm-hmm. interesting people to me because I'm so mm-hmm. fascinated with this world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just get to talk to all these awesome people. And uh, yeah, that's I think that's that's my favorite part of it. Makes sense. That's such a rare thing to be able to do that, to be able yeah. to like have an amount of a person's time and really get into things mm-hmm. even it's rare to have that especially people who you know in our little niche of our world um you know the people who listen I, the reason i think a lot of people listen to the show is because they would love to have the same conversation sure you know um so i feel very privileged to be able to to have that yeah yeah it also i think has made me better at being a conversationalist with new people mm-hmm. i think i'm a i've learned how to be a better listener and a to be more engaged in conversation with new people by asking questions, kind of tracking everything we've talked about and forming new questions to keep that conversation going. Um, sure. I mean, it is a skill that needs to be developed and, and sure. honed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm getting to a point now, just like with modular synthesis, where I feel like I'm just getting good enough at it to be like, oh, I'm, I'm still like low level good. You know, I have a lot to learn. Yeah, that's good. It's mm-hmm. good to good to know that. It's not. It's good to feel like there's room for development. Yeah, because I think you just maybe get bored or totally. full of yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the two. Both. Yeah, both. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Sounds awful. Uh, do you have a favorite memory of the podcast or an episode uh, in which you'd like to share? Ooh, that's really hard. That's really, really hard. I mean, honestly, doing the Christmas episode with you where you were playing uh, uh, Mrs. Claus, Linda Claus, and I was Krampus, that, that's like, uh, that's one of the things, I don't know, I, I, you know, I tried a bunch of different stuff with the show and I try to like express myself mm-hmm. through this and all the different sides of myself. And uh, it seems like, this, like that's one of the more fun things that I like to do and seems to get the less, the least amount of... <laughs> Because <laughs> people don't come here for, you know, they, for, uh, they come here to Crampy listen. and Linda Duncan. Right. Yeah, no. exactly. They come here to listen to, uh, you know, people like Tony Rolando. And, 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 sure. But, um, but yeah, I like that. I also, I did this, this episode called uh, Pledge Drive Me Off a Cliff, where it was just a, a, a bonus episode that was trying, I was trying different things of trying to get people to sign up for the Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I. I was listening to uh, King FM. Is oh that the my classical gosh! Yes, episode? I love that episode. <laughs> so I just recorded them doing their fun drop, their, and then just edited a bunch of this woman saying things and just me having a conversation. With her. And I think, I think that might be one of the best things I've ever done. And I think four people listen to That's, it. It's so, so good. Um, but I mean, come on, going to Suzanne Chiani's house and hanging out with her, mm-hmm. and and just that whole trip to San Francisco with uh, Ellison was a lot of fun. Um, velocity, velocity was a big one. Yeah. Uh, 
And then our most recent trip to San Francisco and hanging out with Austin, that was really fun too. Mm -hmm. And, And Eric Needham. So yeah, just like it has to do with being able to, most of my favorite memories are the first time I get to physically hang out with these people that I've forged these relationships with over the last few years. That's been really cool. Yeah, that's special. Where, where do you, um, where do you find your inspiration? Where do you continue to, uh, how do you keep continuing to be inspired? To do the podcast? Mm. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, just to be creative, to do the podcast or to make, you know, new, new music ideas or new creative endeavors. It's a compulsion. But I think what keeps me going with something like the podcast is, is going back to what I said just a few minutes ago about just like, I love, you know, I love talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to talk to like new people or these people that I've met and made, you know, kind of forge these relationships with, you know. So it's like, it's it's a double-edged sword, but both sharp sides are good. Because on one sharp side, like this episode we're about to get into, this is the third time I've got to sit down with, with Tony and have like a long form conversation and every time you do that you know it just kind of gets better lisa belladonna i think i've she's been on here four times uh daedalus they've been on three times and now we text and you know so it's like i total i I watch your feet i just i'm name dropping right now but um (laughs) (laughs) uh, i think just the fact that i get to forge these relationships and and keep them going and nurture them and also either and whether or not it's uh, I'm forging new relationships I'm getting to talk to people who are doing things that I'm genuinely interested in and I get to ask them all the questions that I have about it so yeah I don't have to dig too deep to find the motivation there um what are your what are your current goals what are you working on now for the podcast or just in general oh let's start with the podcast um I would like to grow it as because I feel like Modular synthesis, the popularity of mm-hmm. modular synthesis is definitely growing. More and more people are using it. And uh, I would like to find more people to listen to the show, um, not just for my own ego or anything, but because I don't know how to say this without sounding kind of douchey, but I think up, at, up to this point, I have curated a pretty good like historical record of you know a a huge chunk of the people who are major players and contributors to this world so if I were just getting into it now I would be so stoked to find something like PodMod because then I could listen to Lisa Belladonna you know for four hours and really get to know her and listen to her not only you know her musical background but then you get to hear her in conversation with somebody that she's comfortable in conversation with and then you get to kind of get a peek into a personality which to me has always been very fascinating. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, just I'd like to get more people to listen. Um, honestly, I'd like to find a way to make the monetization more substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because I want to uh, buy you nice things, which mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> um, Thanks, hon. Um, I just want I want more time and freedom to be able to do some of the loftier ideas. So I'd like to go on a tour. I would like to do like a video, like a kind of a, a, a tour doc or something like that on that tour, you know, like just because I love editing cool. videos and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, pie in the sky dream, being able to tour with it and be able to have it be financially, uh, viable enough to 
where I wouldn't have to maybe do the teaching job. I could just kind of like yeah. do my, uh, my design and video work with after later and then mostly focus on the, the podcast or something. Um, and right now I'm trying to work on new music cause I'd like to make another album. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. You've been making some good stuff. I feel like it. Yeah, yeah, you really have. I've been really enjoying what you're coming up with. It, it, you are also such a huge barometer for, for, if like, of course, like if I was, I do want to make like a doom metal album or something, right? And and I know that's not going to be your speed, but mm-hmm. when I'm trying to make something that is, you know, like lately I'm trying to do nice like ambient, long form, pretty, um, but not boring, you know. You, like if, if, if I show it to you and you like it, I feel comfortable that I'm on a good track. Oh, nice. yeah. that's a nice thing to say. Yeah. You have good taste. Thanks. I think so. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to keep doing more film stuff, short film stuff. Um, but so yeah, it's, just, it's the There's time. So many, it's, I it's, know. It's the time. Time yeah. is always. Which is weird because I it's... thought starting this podcast one of the main goals was, you know, I found myself spending so much time on making records that, you know, no, literally like hardly anybody listened to, you know, even my friends, like my best friends would listen to maybe one time through. And so it's like you, you, you kind of look back on this process of making a record that takes a year or say, and you have access to your, your band camp numbers and mm-hmm. you're like, I spent a year on this and I got a really like a couple good reviews on this record, but it's, you know, a hundred plays, you know, <laughs> or something. Yeah, and that's, that's not even so on hard. the whole record that's on like each song. So that's really like, that's 10 plays of the whole record. And you're like, so I, I was hoping I could start this podcast as a way to springboard my musical career and it has in ways, but not in any way that I anti- like wanted it to or expected it to. And it's been, this isn't a complaint because I actually, I really like the, the place where I'm at creatively and everything, but it, uh, it hasn't helped it that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get there. Yeah, it's 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 weird I'm to talk not, about this know. stuff. Yeah, it's weird. I feel weird talking about this stuff because I want to be candid and honest about it. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, like just what I said could come across as complaining or not good enough or or anything like that. And it's really like the benefits or the 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 positive sides, mostly through the personal relationships and stuff that that far outweighs any quote unquote success that I was hoping for in other arenas or something like as I get older, I'm just much more interested in personal relationships and spending the time and being present in that time or something, you know, that's an exciting thing to realize from the podcast. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've had a lot of personal growth from it. Um, Yeah. yeah, it's been enriching. Thank you for all your support. You're welcome. Couldn't dear listener. This podcast wouldn't exist or couldn't continue to exist without Hannah. So Aww. thank you for Aww. that. You're very welcome. And there's something else that I've been thinking about, something that I've been wanting to tell you for the past few weeks, but I didn't, I haven't, I wanted to tell you on air. 
because it's really it's really dear to my heart yeah yeah thank you so much for introducing me to Wordle. I'm just obsessed <laughs> with it. It's so much fun. I love Wordle. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't figured out today's yet. Did you get today's? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm on my third try, and I'm very confused. This one took me five. Oh, you're usually a three or four. Uh-huh. Okay, all right. This well, one took me a minute, but... I don't want any hints yet, but I only have a few hours to go, so I better get on it. You'll get there. You'll get it. Okay. Well, Hannah, it seems like we're winding down here. I really appreciate your time and your questions. Um, My pleasure. Before we go, is there anything that you would like to scream from the modular mountaintops? Yolle, yolle, yolle. And we're live for episode 200 with Tony Rolando. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool for me to hit 200 and it's cool to have you as a guest. That is a lot. 200 is, is a a big number. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's weird. Um, it feels like when I told my wife the other day, it's like, yeah, it's over four years. She's like, what? Like, yeah, it's, it just doesn't feel like it's gone by very quickly, but it also feels like I've been doing it forever. So (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I wanted to have you on, not just because uh, you're good chat, but this new record, you re- you haven't released it quite yet. Uh, but the, the vinyl looks like it's already sold out. Um, so congrats on that. Um, my copies are, but you can still get it from Important Records. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, and then also uh, distributors are going to have it um, April 29th. So that's oh, the actual cool. physical release date. Some folks have already gotten theirs if they pre-ordered direct from uh, the label, but distributors are still in the process of getting theirs. And I think they'll have them on the shelves on the 29th. Okay. And that's Europe too. So some European folks were asking about that because I know it's so expensive to get one record shipped over to Europe. You pay like the price of the record just to have the record shipped. So um if you're interested and you're in Europe, just hold tight. I think uh, Boomcat and Juno are going to have them and probably some others that I'm not remembering. Very cool. Juno is the scent shop in the UK, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, yeah, I want to definitely dive into this. The last time we talked, it was around Strega release. Um, and I think you had mentioned that, you know, through through COVID, you actually started... Uh, you know, making a lot more music than you had been in the past because Make Noise kept you so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you make two records kind of at the same time and then just break up the songs? Because I was trying to make sense of this when I was looking at your Bandcamp releases. I had um, I had recorded, yeah, so I had started recording again. It had been over a decade since I had done anything like that. And um, I recorded like 60, 60 tracks. And you know how it is initially, I was very excited about every single one of them. Uh-huh. And then, <laughs> you know, I stepped back for like a couple of months and then went to listen to them. And and it's just, you know, one by one, like trash, 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 trash. And uh, I ended up finding like, uh, maybe like six that I liked. Mm-hmm. And um, I had sent them to some friends and my, uh, my friend, Robert A.A. A. Lowe, had mm-hmm. suggested putting out a tape but he said he said you know you should 
find some, you should make some more music or find some more that you could put with these to make it more of a longer release. And so I did that, found like five, I think five or six more that I could live with. Um, <laughs> but then I think he got a little too busy um, with the soundtracking work that he's doing, which is obviously way more important than releasing, <laughs> you know, 40 of my cassettes or something. <laughs> um, and that kind of got shelved. Uh, it still hasn't come out. And so, but all along I kept recording more music and I made another record, which is this one, Breaking is a Memory. And I really, I was pretty excited about it. So I got it mastered and I was going to do an, like a self-release and I sent it out to a bunch of friends again. And, and, um, it was, you know, I think it must've been a little better than the first one. Cause like a lot more people <laughs> kind of got back to me and said, Hey, I really like this. This is good. Like, how are you doing this? Like, what are you using? And just got a lot of questions and mm-hmm. comments and, and, um, it made its way into John over at important records hands. And, and he called me and said, Hey, I want to put this out really like this. It's, it's really great. And um, the other thing, and this is John speaking, he says, I've always wanted to release records by people who make instruments. And so this is kind of an exciting opportunity for me. He had had dreams of releasing a Buchloff record, for example, mm-hmm. um, some of Don Buchloff's music, um, but that hadn't panned out. And so he was kind of excited about this possibility. And then he, uh, the record just took forever to make like the actual yeah. physical copies I'm and it was delayed right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, there's going to be three month delay. Then it was six, then it was a year. Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. says, Hey, you know, maybe you should put together another release and we'll do it on tape and it'll come out sooner. And, um, I had already been working on more material. Like, you know, I didn't really stop. I kind of finished the break in is a memory and then I just kept recording and, and um so that the tape actually is a kind of a collection of there's a couple of tracks that are kind of outtakes from breaking as a memory and then there's um some other tracks that are like a whole other session and i just kind of sewed them all together into the cassette release so i guess that's the the long story you released that cassette what like is that a december yeah december 2021 yeah so okay so the idea was uh and then so then the records ended up being a little less delayed than we thought we, we were thinking we wouldn't have them until this summer. Um, but they came a little sooner. So that's why the releases are kind of close together. And, you know, these days you can't, you can't be picky about release dates. You kind of just totally. got to do it when it's going to happen. So like, yeah. Oh, like I just remember one day John called and said, Hey, the records just shut up. Like, Wait, what? That's crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining. Right. Yeah. But yeah, the records that we've, I finished the, um, that compilation I did with mystery circles that we just released like the pre-order for that, that whole record has been done and mastered for uh, eight months, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then we just got an email. Hey guys, the, uh, the records might be a little later again. So for like the fourth time. So we already said, Hey, they're shipping on this date, which we were kind of crossing our fingers about, but you know, but yeah, I think, I think everybody understands that's the way it goes. I I agree. That's the cool thing is I think the folks that are interested in these records, they, they get it. They're not, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to be like hammering you with emails, you know, demanding refunds because they know it's just, it's out out of your control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I ordered something, uh, from, uh, like this, like, I'm trying to think how to describe them. You may have heard them. They're called, uh, 
Neptunian maximalism. Hmm, no, like, I don't think uh, I've heard that. Yeah, they're like I think they're like a Bulgarian like doom orchestra. <laughs> it's okay. very weird stuff. It's really cool. Um and uh think like like uh Earth with Colin Stetson in it or something. Um but I ordered one of their records and it it took I think about 8 months. They you know said it was shipping on mm -hmm. X date and it it was even delayed. It's just like but yeah, everybody knows this story. For sure, um, yes. I mean, speaking of Robert A. A. Lowe, I, I ordered his um his soundtrack, um, mm, the release. Ah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the label. It looks gorgeous. The cover, the vinyl, everything looks gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I'm still waiting on that. They just sent I, me another email. You know, hey, be patient. It's gonna happen. We promise. So, I mean, I ordered the same one and got the yeah. same emails. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know I'll get it eventually and I'll be really happy to have it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's... I think, yeah, the reason I brought up the Neptunian maximalism thing is like, uh, it was kind of cool, like the amount of time that had passed, I kind of forgot about it. So when it did show up, it was like, oh, sweet, you know, so that's mm -hmm. happened a couple times with vinyl now. So it's like, it's almost like just like a little surprise present that you're not you know like you right yeah because you have the digital download you know once the release is out so exactly yeah yeah sometimes i wonder if we shouldn't just uh move to that model of of um making the lp more something where it's like here's here's the new release here's the digital download and if you want your physical order it it'll happen when it happens because mm -hmm. otherwise artists end up waiting so long like we're about we're about to talk about a release that I finished well over a year ago. Um, I see, I can't remember what the dates. I actually, I think it might, it might be a year and a half. So yeah, I think it said you were working on it through like in, let's see, uh, written and recorded July, November, 2020. So yeah, I know. How <laughs> yeah. That, well, and it's weird because as an artist, I don't know if, if you probably have a little bit of this, but like, especially with the longer the material has been done to you, but like, mm -hmm. not that I don't want to use like less excitement as a word, but there is, there's, it is kind of like not as it's, it is. Yeah. It's just less exciting, at least for me, for this, this thing that we're releasing all these remixes I did, I really like, mm -hmm. I, they're so seared into my head and they're so not new and I'm creating other things that I'm not like, of course I'm excited to tell people about it, but I don't have that like fresh. I just finished. This is my baby. Feeling, right. Right. You know? Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Maybe that's never really been an option for artists though, if you think about it. I, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, Chuck Berry played at this, uh, like a, it's not a state fair. What was it? It was called Lincoln Fest. It was like mm -hmm. this festival that happened every year in central Illinois and Springfield. And, you know, he's playing the, he's playing all the same, it's all the music that you would think Chuck mm -hmm. Berry would play. And he's playing it with like, you know, full force energy. Actually, the PA blew out in the middle of his oh, wow. set. <laughs> yeah. And he just kept going, just, you know, singing at the top of his lungs, hammering on his guitar. It was like he didn't, you know, he just kept going. And, you know, he has to be sick of the songs by then. That would have been like middle of the 80s or something, 88 oh, or wow, 87 yeah. or something, you know. So, uh, but he's still going like full force. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know that, musicians ever really get that option to share their art at that like prime moment when they're the most excited about it. They've, yeah. they've always got to like prepare it and release it and, and promote it or 
bring it to people. And that takes time. It just takes mm -hmm. time. You know, whether you're talking about mixing or mastering or, or touring or distributing, you know, whatever you're doing, it's, it just takes time. So only you get to enjoy that moment yeah. and by yourself or with your bandmates, it's fleeting. So while you have it, hang on yeah. to it because it's an incredible feeling and you probably won't have it in, in uh, three or four days. I, I like that. It's it's kind of a, it adds like a little, a little like, a, I don't know. I, I always go like Tibetan Buddhism when I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, but like kind of a little teaching moment to live mm -hmm. in, to live in the present. And if you're really enjoying something, don't think about how much you want someone else to enjoy it. Like actually enjoy it yourself. And, um, I wonder too, let's, you know, to bring it back to your record, it's been done for, you know, this long and, but it's now it's releasing, but as, as it's out of your hands and in the hands of people making videos and labels, writing descriptions and, you know, people mastering it, like you probably aren't listening to it during that phase. So when you get the masters, you get to hear it again for like, you know, the first time or whatever. Um, and then you get to see the video and see the artwork getting finished. And I imagine that like, has this whole process, seeing it all come together, kind of revitalize that that initial like excitement of the tracks yeah for sure well so the mastering is yeah it's very hands i'm very hands off with mastering i, I try to find somebody who's already mastered or makes music that i really like which is how i landed with uh josh eustace uh his stuff with telephone tel aviv is incredible and i really like it and i've heard other re records that he mastered and and um my uh my friend rodent had said hey you should talk to this guy he's he's, he's a, he masters and he might be interested in mastering your record so i was very excited that he was um available to do that and that was very hands-off it was just i sent it to him he sent me back when he was done and and i liked it so yeah this is mm -hmm. great um the video was more um more work that was uh so i like wrote an entire kind of <laughs> When I think back on it, I almost feel, uh, so the video was animated by this woman, uh, Elise Tibet, and she's from, uh, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you haven't checked out her Instagram page, uh, send text image, it's, um, it's a great page. It's her art is just very, um, she just has like this very distinct style and it permeates the, everything that she does. Um, and so I had seen actually, uh, you know, Banna Papar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Banna and Rodent had met her when they were in Lebanon. And when they came back, uh, I think it might've been Rodent actually that said, Hey, you should check out this woman's art. I think you would like it. And so I started following her on Instagram and really liked her art. And when I, after I had done the, finished the record, and this is before it was going to come out on vinyl or anything. It was just done. And I just like making videos. So I thought I'm going to script this video idea and send it to some animators and see if I can find someone who's crazy enough to try and animate this, <laughs> this piece of music. So I actually have written out this whole, I, I, sh I should look for, for it. I had written out this whole, um, I mean, it's a script for the video, right. like scene by scene, moment by moment throughout the entire record, not just the first track. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, this just shows how little I know about animation. Um, in my mind, you know, I, I'd already seen what Elise was doing and I really liked it. And I felt like stylistically it fit the music really well. I love how um, minimal and, but like how like 
like high, um, I don't know what the word would be. The colors are, they, they're always on a black background, but they're always very bright, but mm -hmm. then somehow muted. I, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to describe. It's like she puts really bright colors down on a black background in a way that makes them feel um, set into it in a way. Like I, it's hard to describe. I see um, what you're saying though. I, I, yeah. I'm, you know, thinking back on the video. Yeah. It's kind of bright and muted simultaneously, which mm -hmm. I love. And it kind of just, for me, feels like what the music means to me. You know, it's sort of like the way you remember things. Um, they're bright and muted si simultaneously. And you never remember anything exactly how it actually happened. You always have this sort of, uh, um, you've always sort of recreated it in a way that fits your, your, uh, I don't know, your, your hopes or your dreams or your feelings. <laughs> um, and so it ends up being muted, but bright simultaneously. And that's what her art was. And so I scripted this whole thing for like the whole album, which is would end up being like 30 minutes of animation. And I'm, you know, I'm just ignorant enough to go ahead and send it to an animator and say, Hey, can you do this? Mm -hmm. And um, initially she said she would do the whole album, but then after we did the first track, it took so long to do the first track. She kind of came back to me and said, Hey, I don't know if I have enough time to do the whole album. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's, that's the same choice. Obviously I didn't realize it would be this much work yeah. to get it. Cause I just had such specific things and I was asking her to make very specific animation events almost happen with the music that was mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just, it was a lot of back and forth. And then, you know, she's in Lebanon and, you know, the, so there's a bit of a language barrier though. I mean, she speaks great English. So that, I mean, really it's probably more um, the, the barrier of just time and like communication. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, Lebanon has rolling blackouts. Um, they have terrible internet connections. So like every time she would try and send me a version of the video, like, half of it would get um, lost or the upload wouldn't complete just because the internet service there is so terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, she was for part of the time, at least in Beirut, the major city in Lebanon and still having these problems. So it was a pretty big struggle to get that video finished largely because of the technological challenges of operating out of Lebanon. Mm -hmm. um, but she did it. And um, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just really thrilled. I feel like she just really nailed it and just, it's just such a beautiful piece of animation. Yeah. It really, I don't know. It flows with, with the, with the song. And I feel like that, like, I don't know the way you described her art and then kind of like, it, it kind of does describe the album as well. They really do go hand in hand as kind of like bright yet muted. Um, when you were writing that script, were you kind of, do you had her in mind already? Were you kind of writing in her voice in your head? Yeah, I was really hoping that she would say yes. So uh, <laughs> if she hadn't have said no, I didn't really have anyone else, honestly. I mean, I probably would have tried to find some other animators, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and you know, there was no reason really for her to say no. So I had you know, already kind of talked to her a little bit and told her I really liked her work and that I might send her something, you know, potentially for animation in the future. And she said, yeah, do it. So I, I felt like she would say yes, which would just be more along the lines of would she have time? And then obviously we discovered that my goal of a full 30 minute animation, <laughs> you know, I, I think 
if I would have been willing to hire her full time for a year or something, I think I probably could have done it. Right. Yeah. It's funny, like even because I've had similar like, you know, uh, what's the word? Like just moments of, of uh, like just great ambition, ignorance. Yeah, or great, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I think to succeed in a lot of stuff that we do within our like world that we occupy, like the music world and stuff is you have to have a lot of ambition. And I think there's got to be a level of like self-delusion or something like that totally that keeps you a level going, of you yeah know? just just <laughs> just total like blind faith ignorance all those things yeah for sure it's it's so funny too like we know the we know the uh the time that it takes to to build a, even just one track a four minute track you know and so to maybe somebody who doesn't make music a four minute track could be made you know oh can't you make that in a couple hours um it's just funny that even though we know, we have our own version of like what people don't understand about like what, how much time it takes, especially you with even making like a module or something, mm-hmm. you still thought that maybe it wouldn't take that long for the animator to do the thing. You know, like I do yeah. the same type of stuff too. It's just funny that, that it's just like, but then it's like one of those like, I'm sure like once you fit, like you, she told you how long it would take, you were kind of like, well, yeah, duh, of course it was going to take, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I just, it, <laughs> It made perfect sense. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I want to actually, when you mentioned earlier, also you you were getting a lot of responses from your friends about this record when you were sending it to them. They had a lot of questions. I instantly started going to like questions when I'm, you know, listening to this. Um, I want to just start with some just observations. I think one, of, one thing I really love about this album, and I noticed uh, on the band camp that the last track is the just the entire album like seamlessly right so you you added an extra track that's yeah i um i did that for the old cool echoes release too uh i think for that one i actually did a and b because it was a tape um i guess this one is an lp so it could have been a and b but yeah i like to do that just sometimes when i'm listening to music if i've downloaded it and i just want to play it I I don't want to have to like pick the different tracks. I just want to turn it on and listen to it from start to finish. So I always include it like that. I've done that with uh, a couple of my last albums as well for the same reason. And I don't know, I think especially with, um, with synth music, it's just, I like an album that kind of sounds like it is one piece that has its different acts or movements. And that Mm -hmm. this feels very much like that. Like this, this album has a voice you know, like it, it has a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? A cohesion between all the tracks and a, a thematic feel to it. And um, I was, I want to ask about that specifically. And then also I noticed like your, your Instagram name was breaking is a memory forever. Mm-hmm. And then you release the album and now you're Tony on it. I'm just, I'm curious, like I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, if that was an accident, that was really great promo for his record. That's a long, that's the long game, but I'm just wondering what the, uh, I figured that wasn't the case, but no, I'm just curious. What, what does that mean to you? What, what is, it seems like an important phrase to you. Yeah, it is. It, it's a, it's actually a line from a movie and um, it kind of, so, I mean, I, I'm kind of reluctant to, to tell people where it came from because uh, <laughs> the film is actually kind of corny. Um, I mean, it's a film I love, but and it means a lot to me, but it's kind of corny. It's kind of about how, especially in the past, certain things would just become 
no longer uh, something people thought about anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the comment actually is this tough guy, you know, he sees these kids break dancing and um, he, you know, goes up to him and kicks their boom box over, says, uh, breaking is a memory. As in, you know, this shit isn't cool anymore. Why yeah, the fuck yeah. are you still doing it? Get off of my beach. You know what I mean? He's just like, mm-hmm. it's just this moment of like, I mean, these kids are clearly really into breakdancing. Like they're feeling it. It's like something that they're passionate about. They love it. They do it. They are into it enough that they pack up a boombox and go down to the boardwalk and and dance. But, you know, to this guy, it's like, it's not cool anymore. It's off trend. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this anymore. We've moved on from that. And so it's kind of about this way that people used to kind of jettison everything. You know, everything was, you know, even like this whole world that we met through modular synthesizers. At one point, they were the cutting edge. And then there was this point where they were completely jettisoned. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted modular synthesizers anymore. They were packed away colleges that had them in their music departments put them in boxes and shoved them into the corner of uh, storage rooms. Um, artists that were previously using modular and moved on to digital Synclaviers, Yamaha DX7s, whatever. Same with analog synths in general. That's like how our culture used to be. Like we used to just move on from things. You know, that's a memory. We don't even need that anymore. Mm-hmm. But today we're, we've reached a strange point where we have so much documented through the internet that nothing really ever goes away anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you've seen it time and time again. I mean, there is a, a total resurgence of breakdancing. I mean, breakdancing has like its own like competitive circuit now. Mm-hmm. There are literally people who make a living breakdancing. So what was once totally off trend and, and laughed at is now a legitimate pastime. Mm-hmm. Same with analog synths, modular synths, anything. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is just that feeling of when there's something that means a lot to you, but it means nothing to a lot of other people, almost to a point of it's, it means even less than nothing. It like, it potentially like offends them, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is just a strange feeling to know that something you're so into is just so off-putting to someone else, which again, kind of tracks with the worlds that we run in with mm-hmm. modular synthesizers for so long. Um, the most common question was, can you make music with that though? <laughs> like, well, I thought that's what I was doing, but I guess not. <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like taps into that as well. Just this whole idea of, of, of um, just thinking about that scene and like the look of disappointment on the breakdancer's face. Cause he's thinking he's doing something really great and that it's really beautiful and he's contributing goodness to the world. But this guy rolls up and tells him it's just, it's a joke, you know, get out of here. Do they keep, do they put their, the boom backs back up and keep going or do they, do they take, do they take heed his warning of uncoolness and kind of ruinate on it for a while? Um, I don't know. It's a fleeting scene in the film. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those phrases that just yeah. stuck with me all these years. Like I, you know, the films from the eighties. So, I mean, I, but I still remember the scene so like vividly, mm-hmm. um, and so again, I guess maybe it's about, you know, coming back to the, the idea of memory too. Um, and just the way that certain phrases, sounds, pictures, images 
can just trigger like a whole era for you. You know, mm-hmm. you could hear the sound of like, you know, their first, you know, the first four notes of Madonna's borderline and suddenly like a whole era of your life can just come rushing back in. You know, you start mm-hmm. thinking about the roller rink, you know, you start thinking about that first time you tried to roller skate backwards. Cause you were trying to like talk to a girl while she was skating forward and it just mm-hmm. strange things just start flooding back in from like four notes mm-hmm. in the intro of a song. You know? So it's kind of like, it's kind of about that too, I guess. I think you just kind of described, you just put into words for me. Um, one of my favorite things about aging is the, the older you get, the more, the more of a past you have to, to have these chunks of time unlocked, you know, and you, and for me, they seem to go in about four years, which makes sense. Four years, high school, four years, college, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, so there's stuff that if I hear I'm instantly back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or I'm instantly back in Roslyn, Washington, when Northern exposure was being filmed or whatever. And, and I, I, like, I guess it's not really cool to say, but like, I, I am a sucker for nostalgia. Like, I love that feeling. Like if I hear Garth Brooks shameless, I'm back in the Tacoma dome in, in fourth grade or third grade and it feels good. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I don't I, me neither. I, yeah. I just feel like a lot of people like kind of looked, I don't know. There's, there was a, I think Seattle has something about this too, where you like, but I feel like it's kind of in, in general, or maybe not so much anymore. But like, you can't be too much of an enthusiast about anything because sycophants aren't aren't cool, right? And nobody wants a <laughs> sycophant. But like, I like, I really like admiring things, and I like getting into things and understanding things. And uh, and when I do, I want to celebrate that. I definitely want to let the person who made it know how much it's impacting me but I want to share it with other people. And I don't know, like music reviews. I tried to write music reviews for a little magazine here in mm-hmm. Seattle for a while. And I wouldn't write a, I wouldn't write a review of something I didn't like because what's, I didn't want to just like could make somebody not listen to it who could have otherwise listened to it and liked it, you know? Yeah. Potentially. But I don't know. I just That's interesting. Rant. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it does get a bad name. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't lie. I mean, I'm, yeah, I guess, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate it. But I, I also think that there's something for like, I mean, it's, in some ways, I feel like it can inform your current, current moment too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I know we're, we're, for some reason, we're not supposed to like it. I, I, I don't fully understand why but for some reason we're not supposed to like it. And yet most of us do. It's like this well, guilty pleasure of sorts. Yeah. It's almost like nostalgia is a memory, you know, like that's <laughs> that, you know, people who are, people who, who get on us are that guy who kicked over the, the, beat, the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There you go. I, that is it in the nutshell right there. Right. I, yeah, I'm definitely just, not, I'm not just, kicking over anybody's boom box. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and just the way you describe this, like, I don't know. I like from all the conversations I've had with you, um, especially about like you making music, it seems like you take it seriously and you, you don't just make sounds. You, you, you try to, you try to like bring out into the world something that you have inside of you that is a feeling or whatever. And that, and, and I do the same thing. And I think that can translate 
to the listener and make for a better listening experience. Like your album, it does, it kind of has like that new and old sound that makes it almost like time, timeless in a way. Like, okay, it could have mm-hmm. been made now, but this could have been made, you know, 20 years ago. I can't really tell, you know? Yeah. And, and I think there's something really valuable about that. But I think that comes from your, your deep, you really do care about what you do. It seems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like, well, I do at times just make sounds and I, I, I do at times just goof off or just, just make music for purely the act of making music. Uh, I think when I decide to release something though, I want it to be um, maybe a little more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Arranged or um, deliberate, I guess. Mm-hmm. I want it to provide like a service almost to those that might take time to listen to it. Cause I really do feel like honored that somebody would even take the time to play the music. There's so much music in the world and that somebody's taken the time to listen to the record and wow, if they play it more than once, that's even more incredible. Like you get somebody who actually sits with it two or three or four times to where they really start to really deeply understand it. And um, yeah, I mean, that's like, I, can't express how much I appreciate that. So I try to present something that would be provide something for the listener, something that would be of service to them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I'm just kicking around in my studio, making noise, I'm just, I'm not going to release that. Cause that's just me having fun mm-hmm. and I don't want to waste their time. Now. Okay. That makes me think of like, uh, I'm just, I'm curious about your process then. Like, if you go into your studio with the intent of messing around, like, I guess, do you, when you write stuff to like, when it be, ends up on a release, are those born, are those tracks born out of a session that you were going in with that intent in mind? Sort of. So generally what I do is try to, and I mean, again, this is all just since uh, about 2019. Cause like I said, there was about well over a decade where I just, I didn't even record anything. You know, I didn't, I don't even, I think for a period of time, I didn't even have a way to record stuff. Um, and so around 2019, I broke my foot and I was kind of laid up and I started having, you know, time in the evening. So I started playing music more and then I started recording stuff. And like I said, I recorded those 60, <laughs> like 60 pieces of music that most of which were trash. Um, so I think what happens is if something if I feel really excited about something, I'm going to go ahead and hit record. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not a person that can just do it start to finish in one afternoon or evening. So what happens is I'll hit record and I might even expand on that a little bit. I might like uh, track another channel. Mm-hmm. I might come up with a, a part that accompanies it. But then I, you know, midnight comes or 1am, whatever (laughs) you get a little foggy, go to bed. And then I just don't think about it for a while. And I come back to it like a month later or two weeks later and listen to it, but with like fresh ears and a clear head and just know right away, this is worth pursuing or Mm -hmm. this was fun for that evening, but it's never going to amount to anything. Mm -hmm. And so then I keep a little folder of, um, you know, ideas and once I come back around and check it, if it's, if it's worth pursuing, it goes into another folder that's for like 
something that I'm going to try to flush out and actually arrange into a piece of music. Okay. And then the other folder just rots away on a hard drive somewhere. <laughs> uh, that's going to be like the, uh, somebody's going to dig that up in like 40, for like 40, 50 years after you're, after you've, you've passed and it's going to be a post-mortem, post-mortem release. And you're like, oh, we're rolling over in your grave. I'll be roll, yeah. I, I didn't want. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason. That. No About reason these, for like, that the families releasing these like these unreleased tracks by these great artists like there's probably a reason they didn't release those there but, is although sometimes i feel like artists don't know what they're doing that's good that's true or maybe yeah. they just got really sick of it and they couldn't hear the brilliance anymore there was a new prince track that came out that i really loved um it's the first single off that ep um is so good um, yeah, Prince was who I had in mind, but I'm yeah, also I bet. I figured. Like, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think of like B sides records. A lot of my, you know, favorite ba bands as a kid would release these B sides records, um, right? And I would love. I would be like, why are these? Why? Why did these get cut? You know, these are great songs. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. As an artist, you can be too close to your creations. To totally not really too know. close. Yeah. Well, and Prince had a lot of control, especially in the later part of his life. He had a lot of control over what was coming out. I think when we were kids, um, the music industry, the producer, the label had a lot of control over what was coming out. But, you know, he had kind of gotten out from under that. Um, the, the track I was thinking of is that one, the Born to Die. Um, okay. That track's pretty solid. And uh, he didn't release that. It was found and then released posthumously. I don't think I'm saying that right. But yeah, that's an incredible track. I've played it many times. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't had a, like, I was thinking of Prince, although I haven't listened to, like, any of the the post. I was just, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't bagging on the Prince stuff for any, for the listener out there. Um, so I, I love me some Prince. Um, Please pardon the interruption, but let me tell you about a wizard I know. A magus? Magus? Is it magus or magus? Either way, Nathan Moody is a mastering engineer over at Obsidian Sound. I have had three projects mastered by Nathan, one of which has not been released yet, so I'm excited about that, but one of which you're hearing a piece of right now. That's right, the Mystery Circles Presents Podular Modcasts and Friends album was mastered by Nathan Moody at Obsidian Sound. In fact, I believe the entire Mystery Circles catalog, or at least a an astronomical percentage of releases over there, mastered by Nathan Moody. And chances are, some of your favorite modular albums have been mastered by Nathan Moody at Obsidian Sound. Nathan has mastered thousands of songs and hundreds of albums for independent artists, labels, professional composers, and game studios. He's worked with such modular artists as Akil Adam, B-Boy Tech, Heinbach, Ivo Ivanov, Gerald Fjord, Todd Barton, Travarsi, R. Benny, um, yours truly, I just mentioned that. Nathan is a modular artist himself, I've seen him live, amazing, um, and focuses on preserving artistic intent above all else. He also offers mixed reviews for those needing a fresh, objective set of ears. That, I think, is worth the price of admission alone right there. I've taken advantage of that, you know, as somebody who mixes my own stuff, you need some of that mix review because we're not all mixing engineers like, you know, like Hugo over there at Tiny Crush Mixing. Ah, shout out to Hugo. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're doing stuff yourself, it's really nice to have Nathan to take some time to listen to it and give you some pointers because you, you want to get it in the best shape possible before you send it over to him because, you know, 
You can only, well, I'm not going to use that old saying, but you probably know where I was going to go. So back to the task at hand, if you're looking for an experienced partner to help make your release leap out of the speakers, visit obsidiansound.net. If you mention that you heard about Nathan at PodMod, you'll get 10% off your first mastering project. Again, that's obsidiansound.net. We are like, we're ripping through this and I still have a bunch of questions. Um, so, the, okay, this I want to make this kind of a two-parter if I can. Um, was this mostly modular or was this kind of everything? And where do you start on the modular when you go into a studio with intent? So it's, it's a mix. It's a mix. Mm. So for example, um, that first track one for the video is two channels of Straga, um, one channel of ARP 2600 and one channel of the uh, Roland Jupiter eight. And then, um, I sampled, myself playing something else on the ARP 2600. So there's a sample of the 2600 too. And then there's another sample from another film at the very end. It's kind of buried in there. And some post-processing with the tape and microsound, more of a gene mimeophone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and sometimes when I say the word sample, I, I mean, I, that might mean morphogene, that might mean Ableton Live simpler. Um, mm -hmm. Very rarely, it can mean the uh, emu emulator, but usually it's, it's Ableton Live simpler or the Morphogene. Those two for me are so great for sampling because the simpler is great because it's just so easy to use, hence the name. Um, and sometimes if you have something and you kind of want to do more than you did originally with it, you can kind of chop it and put it into that and kind of live arrange it or play it in a way that you wouldn't have thought to play, especially with stuff that you're doing on a modular, mm -hmm. you might create like a really good sound, but it doesn't go much beyond that initial sound. So drop it in simpler and you can kind of expand on it. And then the morphogene, is that, I, oh, is go that ahead. a program or is that a, is that a hard piece of hardware? Oh, no. Simpler is, a, it's like the basic sampler that comes with Ableton live. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And what's, what's cool about it is it, uh, it, when you just, when you drop your so sound into it, it can, um, do more traditional sample playback, you know, where it's changing the pitch as you play um, by changing the sample playback rate. I guess people would say the frequency, but I guess that's technically not what's, what's happening. It's something more complicated than that. <laughs> but, you know, traditional sample playback where if you were to put a drum loop in, it changes tempo as you play it uh, higher or lower. Um, but then you can also warp it so that it maintains tempo and you're just changing okay. the pitch. So cool stuff like that. And it was just very functional. It's very, very simple. Um, hence the name. So, and then the morphogen I find is just great for if something is interesting, but you don't feel like it, it jumbled up. In <laughs> and it kind of comes back around to that whole thing of like how you remember things. And um, like, sometimes I'll play a sound on a synth, like uh, a classic synth, you know, like a Jupiter eight. And it's so recognizable. And so it's, you know, it's almost too recognizable. So I would sample it with a morphogene and do more to it to sort of jump jumble it up the way your memory would so that it would be, you know, you get a taste of it. You might recognize it, but it doesn't just come off like something that's straight out of the eighties. It's something that's, uh, it's sort of been re it's been, um, chewed up 
and digested and regurgitated through like, mm-hmm. um, you know, 2021 or 2020 or whenever you're <laughs> recording it. So, um, okay, but back on track with your question. Oh, with intent. Yeah. So, I mean, I find everything starts in different ways for me at least. So like sometimes it's just, um, I might find a, a sample that I really like. It could just be someone saying something in a film or um, an old TV show or like uh, an old radio show or something like that. Or um, uh, it might just be like a sample from an old song or something. Um, or, and that might spark like a whole track. And sometimes it's just you flip everything on and the first thing you play is like, you feel like it's incredible and it might love that yeah it might be fine you know it might not even be that incredible but because where your energy <laughs> level is you know yeah, you're yeah. you just walked into the room you turned everything on and the sequence that was already playing on your um the patch that you left two days ago you flip it on and when you left it two days ago you didn't like it at all but now you've walked in with a clear head and it's blaring through the monitors and it's like well this sounds incredible okay let's go yeah yeah i've I've had that happen with a lot of tracks where i'd go back to like i have a similar process that you were describing earlier just kind of going back and checking stuff out that is this worth pursuing and sometimes i don't even remember doing it or how i did it and i never name my tracks i need to like name them like what i'm doing like um and like i always have the project name like rad beats with three z's or something you know so it's just ugh, so annoying because well, um, you already had rad beats with one z yeah right but yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right. There's something about that, like energy level that can really, and that, and that kind of speaks to what we're talking about, about being, uh, the artist being maybe too close to some things like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, so, um, yeah, I was wondering how much, how much multi-tracking there was because it sounds like super seamless, but it all, it like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to just like, you know, like how much of it was like just one patch that you just performed versus. So, yeah. So for example, on that first track, um, the main, uh, pattern is that was performed almost straight through on the ARP 2600 mm-hmm. and then two channels of Strega kind of performed. There's like, there's kind of like, um, kind of like a point where it kind of breaks down just a little bit and then comes back so there's those were kind of performed like section a section b um but straight through um and then um and the yeah the jp8 was also played that was played from start to finish but they're multi-track you know obviously i'm not doing them all at the same time so i did the the arp 2600 pass and then i did the two strega passes and then i did the jp8 pass um, and then after that, I would do, um, some more arrangement if, if needed. So for mm-hmm. example, sometimes you do something when you're playing it and, um, but it's not dramatic enough. So, you know, maybe you got a little quieter in this passage and you can tell that was your intent when you listen back to the take, but it's maybe not quite quiet enough. And mm-hmm. so I might do some, some, you know, like mixing or, or comping to uh, um, accentuate that. Mm-hmm. Or say you got louder, same thing. You know, sometimes in the moment, what feels loud enough or quiet enough or fast enough or slow enough isn't enough when you go back and you actually listen to it with fresh ears. It's like, yeah, I picked, you know, I 
nudge the tempo there and I, it went a little faster. That's cool. It doesn't go quite fast enough. You know, I might mm-hmm. time stretch or compress to make something more dramatic, larger okay. than life essentially is what I'm always trying to get something okay. that just feels like I said, it should feel like a memory because in your memory, things are usually rosier and more beautiful or <laughs> uglier and more terrifying than they really were. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if you said, if you're trying to, you're trying to create that, or at least I am when I'm trying to finish a piece of music. Yeah. So it sounds like your process is whatever serves, whatever serves the piece as far yeah. as method. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. I, I, I totally like that's, I've had, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people who like to, you know, get one patch and have it a stereo track and have that be the track. And then, mm-hmm. you know, some people want to do one piece at a time. And, and I think there's no right answer, really. It's just whatever, whatever serves the, the song, really. Yeah. And the benefit of if you can, if you're a person that can do something straight through a full patch live, um, the benefit of that is when you go to perform it, obviously, mm-hmm. if you want to do a live set, um, if you've taken good notes, you could potentially recreate that. Um, for m- everything on this record, most of it's tuned by ear. Um, like all the patterns uh, are written with a zero control tuned by ear. Um, you know, the potential for recreating that note for note using the original instruments is, I mean, that's just going to be a, an undertaking of epic proportions. Um, <laughs> one that I, you know, couldn't afford to hire music, musicians for. It would mm-hmm. take a lot of people and a lot of very patience, really. Um, so, yeah, I think there's advantages to that method as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. When you go to try to perform something live, you're, you're going to have a path to that, a much more clear path. Mm-hmm. Well, this and okay, so this is leading me to uh, a question that I'm, well, I'm kind of assuming something. So I want to see if I'm right. I'm probably not because, you know, with the assumption thing. Um, but I saw in that reverb video that you did recently, where you, you were like hanging out with a guy from reverb talking about stuff, uh, your mm-hmm. setup had two morphogenes in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is this typical? Or do you have two morphogenes so you can play some of this stuff live? Yeah, so the reason that came about is uh, so Fess, uh, who hosts the Reverb uh, Patchworks um, series, he says, you know, what I really like you to do is is maybe um, a demonstration of one of the patches you used for one of the tracks on the record. And it's just, like I said, I don't take very good notes. Mm-hmm. And like when I go, when I pull up a session, it's not like each channel's named like for what it is, like shared system or strega or jupiter eight it's just numbers it's like yeah yeah like one <laughs> so there's no notes and i'm trying to get better at that um but it's it's hard it's hard work especially if you're in that state of flow and like creating and, and enjoying making music you're probably not thinking that far ahead it never you know, like oh me. i should yeah. meticulously document this patch so i can recreate <laughs> it later um and you know that combined with it having been you know almost a year and a half ago didn't really have much to show him in that matter. So then it started making me think, Hey, maybe I need to perform this stuff live at some point. I got to figure out a way to do that. And so that led me down this path of, uh, trying to build a system that would let me do these sort of, uh, live echo jams of my own music. And initially I was very ambitious, you know, going back to that, you know, Mm -hmm. story about the half hour animation with Elise, (laughs) um, 
So initially I was going to break each track into subgroups. You know, the tracks are all pretty simple. I don't have anything with like 32 channels or something. It's all like between three and eight channels. Mm -hmm. But I was figuring like make three to four subgroups for each track and then, um, you know, stick with that sort of uh, echo jam mentality of trying to find like the best pieces from each track. Like what's something that you wouldn't mind hearing looped for a while, you know, for two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. But I was going to do it where I was going to capture two or three loops from each track, but subgroup them. So I'd have like, um, like high frequency loops, you know, stuff like in that first track, it would be the two channels of Strega, which are uh, higher octaves. Um, and then I would have lower octaves, which would be the, uh, in that track is the ARP. And then I've have like a drone, which is the, the JP eight. So I had kind of built this system with four morphogenes and I had tried kind of, I guess, stems and of, of sorts like loop based stems. So I cut these loops, but it was just so much to manage. It was so hard to do that. Um, Were you like so putting got, them in the different splices? Is in that in like... I was, each morphogene would kind of be assigned a subgroup. So like okay. one morphogene uh -huh. would be my low frequency stuff. One would be my high. One would be my mid or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and then the fourth one could be for um, you know stuff maybe that wasn't even in the track originally. Like you know maybe finding some other samples to you know launch over top of those. Um, and it just Sounds and like then I had this idea of being able to morphogene. like. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was an insane system. And I had this other idea of like, well, it'd be really great because then if, you know, say I picked off like three patterns and I could like start jumbling up the patterns. So pattern A1 over pattern B3 and pattern C1, mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. like just really start. And in my mind, this presented all these incredible opportunities for kind of reimagining the music. But the net effect was that it didn't, it just, it felt too jumbled and it felt too, um, like the identity of the music was kind of lost. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that combined with just managing four morphogenes, which is just way too much for any normal human being. I'm sure Richard <laughs> Devine's listening or probably not listening. Maybe he is, I don't know, but if he was, he'd probably say four morphogenes. That's nothing. I run six. <laughs> um, I know Rodent has like at least three. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think I, um, I just kind of realized this is too much. So I got rid of one, three was still too much. So then I came down to this idea of instead of trying to break it out into these like channels, these stems, if you will, I would just kind of custom fit, um, these loops. And so I went back to the sessions and like, I would pick a portion that I really wanted to loop, but I'm not going to just take it straight off. Like the master, for example, I'm going back to the session. So I might, you know, mute some of the channels and kind of focus on just these two. And then I might get rid of, um, if I was running any sort of echo or something like that, I might get rid of that. And, mm -hmm. and I kind of created these custom loops. Um, at the time that I did the reverb interview, I really only had one done and it wasn't <laughs> the best. It wasn't the best. Uh, it had to do, I mean, they wanted to do the, the interview and I only, only had that one kind of partially operational one. So I'm not super excited about how that sounded, but you know, it did, it did prompt me to finish it. And I've done four more now I'm getting better at it. And okay. so it's really about picking those 
spots that you want to loop? And then what can you pull away from the original recording to kind of unearth something that maybe shines a little more than it did on the record? And that might be exciting. If someone's heard the record before, they might recognize bits of it. If they've never heard the record before, when they go, if they liked the show and then they went to home and listened to the record, it might, um, it might be kind of a cool effect too, because they would get that sort of, um, feeling that they'd heard it before, but it wasn't exactly like what they had just heard. It'd be almost like a little bit, feel a little bit distant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's such a great solution, um, to, uh, you know, approaching live performance when you're trying to also promote a record or, you know, just stay in that headspace or explore that headspace more. I, I, I've done that less, less in, involved, but now I'm thinking like, I'm probably going to try what you just said, but I, you know, I'd just take my, like I had a, tr um, an album a few years ago where most of it was just stereo tracks, very simple patches, very short. Mm -hmm. I just loaded those into a sampler and then I would like process those kind yeah, of like, yeah. I'd kind of like improv those through effects and just cutting it up on. For sure. I've, I've seen some other artists do that. Um, I've seen Al Alessandro Cortini do something to that effect um, with, uh, you know, he had like a, a tape player combined with uh, signal processing. Um, I'm pretty sure when I saw Katarina play, it was kind of a combination of, 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 of loops that she had taken from her own music combined with some live sequencing and some, a lot of live uh, signal processing. I'm not yeah. positive, but I, it seemed like that's what she was doing. I think also in in this kind of in this kind of music that we work in, like it's one thing for a band to go out there and play the song just like the record. But if you're up there with a machine with wires and you play it just like the record, there there could be people in the audience that are like, Is, are they just playing the record and standing on stage right now? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the equivalent of the uh, unloaded Marshall cabinets. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just cardboard boxes. <laughs> yeah, you've just got yeah, you've just got this system. There's some wires poking out of it, some mm -hmm. lights flashing, and, <laughs> and you got the CD player underneath. You hit and go. <laughs> um, I had just uh, as as far as like specific moments on two specific tracks. Um, sure. The the fourth track. I hold on. I want to see the. I think it's the fourth one. Something about a forest of phenomena in the yeah. in mm -hmm. a forest of phenomena. There's like this like really cool um, like wavering lead line. Is mm -hmm. that from Strega? Because it kind of is, is that like the Strega voice with the the tones. Like yeah, is Utah, it's like the it's the one that comes. Uh, it's it, the music kind of calms down, and it's just like the bass and that for like in between yeah. the more like louder part. Yeah, yeah, that's the Strega. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Um, and then were you playing live bass on some of this? Uh, yeah. Track? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stuff is just played um, okay. freehand. Uh, don't usually, if if I want something to be strict, I would pattern program it with a zero control or a, or a Rene. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Every once in a while, if I can't figure out a chord, I'll record MIDI and then fuss about with it. But generally, I just play it. Okay. Yeah, it's and I think that translates as well because there's you know there's always, I think it's always a challenge to uh, to have your humanity shine through with it electronic is. music. You know, and I think that's a good way to to do that. Um, there's that push and pull between you know the grid 
and the human. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, man, this has already been an hour. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I could keep going all day about this, but um, I just want to make sure, have we covered everything about this album? And have you, is there anything that you want to scream from the modular mountaintops? Hmm. Uh No, I don't think so. Um, I made some T-shirts. They're they're kind of fun. Um, so if you don't like vinyl, you can get the shirt and you get a download with it. Um, I like that. The shirts look like uh, they look like they were pulled out of a box from like a uh, Overages warehouse or something like that. They don't <laughs> look new. I, I'm not sure. I've, it's funny because I've always wanted to do make noise shirts that look like this, but they never fly because. Um, there's always concern that they look too uh, old, mm-hmm, and faded. Mm-hmm. Basically, I don't. I just, it, you know, these days they do like three or four hits with ink, so it's like really like thick, mm-hmm. shines through. I had them just do one hit with the ink, and it's also a three color, which isn't very common these days either, because it costs mm-hmm. more to do the three mm-hmm. colors. And it's cool if you, when you lay those colors over each other, especially with the thin hits, they kind of they kind of fade through each other a little bit oh, yeah, kind of like yeah. a look you just don't see as much these days so i think they're a really cool shirt um yeah what else i don't have anything else to scream i don't know if if you're listening to this and and um and you're booking shows get in touch oh i'm gonna try yeah. to play some shows but i don't have any idea how you go about that so i have an idea i'll talk to you after this so i don't put you okay on the spot cool on recording but i do have an idea for that um Cool. I think I was I, I was gonna maybe ask about uh, if there's anything new from Make Noise that you could talk about, but I feel like we, we that would just be such a a random thing to bring up in this lovely conversation. I, I think I want to leave that on the floor. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> I mean, know that we are still operating. It's just things have just yeah. gotten you know. It takes longer to do everything. So mm-hmm. anything that I'm working on is feels like it's. Uh, ancient to me even though <laughs> nobody knows about it <laughs> oh this is okay in the spirit of what we were talking about earlier me being uh, an enthusiast and loving things and liking to tell people who made something that i love how much i love it and i know you've probably heard this so many times but i truly think that the morphogene is maybe one of the greatest pieces of musical technology ever invented so Thank you for that wonderful gift. Thank you for <laughs> letting me know that. Yeah, I love the Morphogene. I used it all over this record. So it's just, yeah, it's it's a really fun device. I agree. Yeah. Um, sweet. Well, thanks for joining me um, for my, my special 200th. I really yeah, appreciate no, it. That's a hell of a landmark. Seriously, Tim, <laughs> that's, that's a weird. lot of episodes. Thanks. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's been fun. I, I'm just glad that I still like doing it. So <laughs> it surprises you sometimes you're, you're like, wow, I did this for four years and I'm still doing it. Huh. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that just in context of talking to you. I know we're just about to wrap it up, but that, um, you obviously still feel that way about make noise. It seems. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know, you still have that zest and like creative spirit for that, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, as you probably well know from doing the podcast, part of what, keeps you going is is uh the energy that you feel from people that enjoy the thing so mm-hmm. when i meet someone and they tell me they really have enjoyed the morphogene for example 
I mean, that's, that's like a, a good, uh, shot of adrenaline, I guess, or maybe that's the wrong word. Um, a little dopamine hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just, you're like, well, I'm, that's great. You know, cause we worked really hard on it and if it was just forgotten, then you might get a little, uh, discouraged, but when you hear people are using the thing and enjoying it and it's bringing joy into their life, it just really gives you like good purpose. Just makes you feel like, Oh, it's, it's cool that I'm still here on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not I think everybody. <laughs> I'm not just a, not just you know, wasting resources here. So, yeah, <laughs> so that helps. And so people listening to your show and enjoying it, you know, being that little bright spot in someone's afternoon, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good feeling. So, yeah, that's, that's probably part of why you can still do it after four years. Definitely, yeah. And I just get to have such. I mean, I get to talk to interesting people all the time. You know, one on one. Yeah, attention conversations, which are rare. So I think that's really special too. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point these days. It is rare. Okay. It sounded like we were winding down, but we, we aren't. Um, we stopped the call and then forgot that Tony and I had talked about him possibly asking me some questions for episode 200. So we reconnected and started recording again. So, uh, And then, of course, that sparked all sorts of new avenues of conversation. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that now. Okay. In your 200 episodes, what is the juiciest bit of information you've ever gotten out of somebody? I mean, something they haven't told anybody else, and somehow you heard it first on Podular Modcast. Um, Well, I I had to edit it out. Of course. <laughs> no. Well, but it was it, it it was it became known later, but it was something that they didn't want known at the time. Oh, yeah. I was talking to uh um Earthquaker Devices, mm-hmm. Jamie and Julie, and I was talking to them about how much I loved the afterneath pedal and how mm-hmm. much I wish it was a module. And they oh, both kind of looked right. at each other and they're like, <laughs> Well, it's about to be, but you have to cut this part out. So that was pretty cool. Um, I think you maybe even dropped some stuff or I don't know, just getting the Strega before anybody knew about it. I don't oh, know if right. You That's told true. Me about that on mm-hmm. the show, but um, that talk about something that makes like, makes you feel like I, I have entered into this world. You know, I, I felt like I was part of this thing when you guys asked me to be a part of that, that was just like, it meant so much to me. And it, it really like capped off the end of that year. I'm mm-hmm. like, speaking of nostalgia, like I was getting into deer hoof at the time and oh, all nice. these things are kind of wrapped up in my head. And, and the Strega is, is in that kind of memory cloud. So that was also very cool. Nice. Nice. Okay. You ready for another question? Yeah. All right. What sort of, uh, information do you wish guests were more forthcoming with in other words do you ever ask questions and you feel like they're giving me some boilerplate bullshit answer here i want the real details yeah and and i think upon reflection because i've been thinking a lot about you know what i thought the show was going to be and what i wanted it to be and what it actually is um where's that venn diagram you know what is in that venn diagram um I think sometimes I ask people about like what got them into music in their childhood. Um, 
because it's a question that I would want to be asked because I would have a very nostalgia injected answer. So <laughs> I, I always kind of wish that people would go more into detail about, um, you know, just like how, like how much the one thing meant, meant to them. Like, so, like it, if there's one thing or a couple things that got them into the thing that is like one of their most forming characteristics, one of their biggest pieces of their identity, like being a musician, um, you know, what was, what did, what was that seed that was planted and why, why do you think that was so strong and, and just like a little more personal information, mm -hmm. you know, but it's hard to tell people on the spot to, Hey, give me a really personal answer. So I just kind of hope that it, it sparks something in their head. And sometimes it does, but, um, I think sometimes people think I'm just asking like, what was the first song you ever liked? You know, and it's like, <laughs> I, I don't want to ask too leading of questions, you know? So it's, it's a hard balance to find. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, what was the first song? <sighs> well, that may, if I'm going to talk about wanting to really be a musician, I think it would probably have started with uh, Pearl Jam's Even Flow. My Not dad bad. was yeah. DJing a, uh, a high school dance for my mm -hmm. older cousin. And I'm okay. in like fourth or fifth, maybe third grade, very young. And I'm so bored. And then this song comes on and I'd never heard anything because I was listening to Roy Orbison, Dwight Yoakam and Garth Brooks, you know, what we okay. were listening to. And then all of a sudden this comes on. And it just broke my head. And and that was kind of like what made me really go the way of rock and roll and get into to uh music. So I guess even flow by Pearl Jam is, cool. is the song. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I remember when that song came out. Yeah, that was a heavy one for sure. It's a ripper. Yeah. 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 I had that 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 bass line. Mm -hmm. Kind of mm -hmm. what really turned my ear. It's like, hmm, it's an interesting bass line. Um yeah. All right, I'll try to come. Uh, those are the two that I had. Let me see if I can get one more. Oh, but this one actually pretty easy. I mean, um, you've had 200 episodes, some repeat guests, but obviously there's a lot of different guests have been on here, probably well over 100, I would guess. Mm -hmm. um, in the future, is there someone that you've really wanted to be on the show but hasn't worked out yet or you haven't gotten the gumption to ask them to be on the show? and if there is, who is that person? I've been asked this question a few times and I think, well, yeah, I think Caitlin Aurelia Smith is somebody I'd really like to chat with because she was one of the first people that I listened to when I got into modular, like one mm -hmm. of the first modular artists I really listened to. She has an interesting story, I think, uh, growing up on Orcas Island, which is oh, one of right. the coolest places in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's not far from here. Um, I think she found, I think a neighbor of hers had an old bukla in a barn mm -hmm. or something. And that's how she got introduced to it. So it's just like, what kind of magical story is that? This magical island with orcas around it and you mm -hmm. find a bukla just in, yeah. So I'd like to talk to her about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of, all the other wish list people I, I've kind of talked to, you know. Oh, um, that's know, a great to, feeling. Yeah, yeah. I got to like go to Suzanne Chiani's house. Wow. Yeah. Like me and Ellison from Waveform hung out with her there for like hours. That's so cool. We I did her dishes, you know, it was <laughs> it was so cool. Um I got to interview Dave for that same weekend. I got to interview Dave Smith in his office, you know. Right, right. So You're that, in the area. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um but I guess there's there are always people like outside of the world that 
I think are like adjacent. Um, I think like uh, Jad Avonrod from Radiolab. I think he's a synth head. I think mm-hmm. he'd be interested okay. to talk because he's a podcaster as well. I think, you know, it'd be fun to talk about. Um, Duncan Trussell, the comedian, I've been trying forever and he's we've he said yes and we've okay we've scheduled things but it never has panned out so i, I would like to get him on um, he's uh he he got a shared system from us i believe oh really um yeah because he lives around there i think he lives in hendersonville yeah not far from here okay i've never met him face to face we i think maybe chatted over email he had some questions or something um but hey if i ever if i ever do see him around town i'll um I'll put in a good word for you. Yeah, right on. Thanks. I'm sure he would be a blast to have on there, though. Yeah. Well, he's one of the, the the one of the reasons I started this show. I was really depressed. I wanted to. I was going back and forth in my head about whether or not I wanted to do it. And I'm at this construction job that I hated. And to preface this a little bit, he's like what in he's the guy who introduced me to a lot of the Tibetan Buddhism stuff that I got into. Oh, so okay. like a little bit more of like the wooier kind of way of thinking and. You know, I used to be a hard empiricist, and then I'm kind of like more fluid with that now, just kind of open to whatever. But uh, I'm standing there on a ladder, and I'm literally going back and forth in my head. You should do it. No, you shouldn't do it. No, you shouldn't do it. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not. I'm listening to one of his podcasts, but I'm not actually listening because I'm in my head. Mm-hmm, and then right. all of a sudden, he gets my attention back onto his podcast because he goes, "It's like modular synthesis, man." <laughs> And I'd never heard him talk about modular synthesis before. So I was like, I'm starting a podcast about modular synthesis. And then I booked my first guest like that day. So that's, I think he would be cool to talk to. Um, I hope he comes on sometime. Yeah, me too. Uh, And then John McIntyre from Tortoise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That guy's pretty legendary around Chicago. Yeah, yeah. When I lived there, he was, he was, uh, he, he was a big synth had yeah i don't know if you know this about him but like he he had an incredible collection of synths back in chicago i don't know about today but back in the day in the 90s he had stuff that was really cool he does modular stuff oh nice um because he drums in the sea and cake Mm -hmm. uh, oh i had love sea and cake one one of my favorite pants yeah and i have i've had sam precop on the show i've listened to it super into synth so and they play music together so i i think i think i can work that angle and get get yeah you know, but sam's records are so good on how, how much you've listened to his, oh, his yeah. solo electronic stuff so mm-hmm. good some of my favorite 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 solo electronic music yeah that most recent one he released was fantastic he did one a, a long form thing i think it's called long form meditations is a as a label that releases like these one track albums by a bunch mm-hmm. of people and he did one of those it's very good oh i gotta and find he, that i haven't heard that one it's on Bandcamp. Okay. Yeah, it's very good. Um, but not under his account, under... Uh... I'm not sure if it's under him or... I'm pretty sure it's Long Form Meditations is the okay. label. Um, or it's a series by a label. But if you can't find it, let me know. I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, and yeah, he's just so prolific. Because you see, his, if you follow him on Instagram, he every day he's got this crazy huge patch. I know. So, yeah. <laughs> he does, yeah. Well, I guess... That makes me think like, okay, so you've got to work with Alessandro Cortini. Is there mm-hmm. anybody that you, like, if you could have anybody reach out and say, hey, Tony, I want you to help me design an instrument. Like, I mean, I have had some um, some artists that I really love 
reach out, especially since the Strega. Um, you know, the tough thing is um, a project like Strega is it's a massive commitment. And also it has to be something that people will actually understand and want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so unfortunately, uh, even though I would love to work with some of these artists, I haven't been able to say yes yet, just because the right opportunity hasn't really presented itself um, mm-hmm. just because someone wants to. And, you know, the cool thing is the artists that have reached out to me, none of them just wanted to like attach their name to something. Um, they came to me with ideas mm-hmm. like, Hey, I got this thing that I do. And, um, you know, I do it digitally with Ableton, but I'm thinking maybe I could do this or I had someone else um, who had this kind of elaborate patch that they had developed and, and wanted to sort of, create a module that would basically make that patch possible. Um, and my, my struggle with that was just like in the one case, it felt like something that was so, it's, I, I don't know, I guess I just kind of felt like this is so unique to you and you've developed this patch and it's a wonderful patch, but it's kind of your specific mm-hmm. thing. Like, I don't know how I could, I don't know how I could take this and create something that would be universally appealing and useful to a large group of modular synthesists. So, um, yeah, it's just not the, the right, um, yeah, the right thing hasn't really come up. Um, so yeah, you also have to really, it's, it's, it's such a relationship, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so the cool yeah, thing with Alessandro is right. It yeah. Like and it, it went from like, yeah, I mean, it went from being some big, you know, instrument that probably would have cost four grand, <laughs> um, you know, to whittling down into like, you know, the, the, the core the essence of, of, uh, the idea. Um, but also Cortini and I were friends before we even started it. So that also mm-hmm. helps, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause like I said, it's such a big endeavor that you kind of have to trust the person on a, on a level, um, the amount of money that you have to throw into something like this, it mm-hmm. just, uh, it could get bad fast. And, yeah. you know, but with Cortini, it's like, I, he's already somebody that I'm friends with and trust and know and, and feel comfortable with. So it was a little easier, I think. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, these people aren't just wanting to attach their name. It's not like they want to just endorse something or attach their name right. to it. They they're coming with like real ideas. And in some cases, great ideas. It just maybe doesn't work for me or make mm-hmm. noise. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause yeah, sure. If you're a fan of their music, you you, you don't know that you're going to be a fan of each other's personalities, you know? So, yeah, that's yeah. a great point, actually. Wow. So, yeah, that is very true. Yeah. So, yeah, I think having that 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 already established relationship does seem like very important. So, I mean, how cool of a position that is, though, to, to, to have Absolutely. to say no. <laughs> oh, to have to say no. It's really hard, actually. I felt terrible on, yeah. um Yeah. Because I I don't know I almost feel like I'm I don't know I feel like I'm almost offending them or something but you know I I try to like explain to them how much I like their music because I really I am a big fan I mean I listen to so much music and I find that like you I'm a person I like if I like something I like to let people know that so mm-hmm. it wasn't that hard and I think they knew that I was already a big fan so I don't okay. think it was like that awkward but I still felt kind of bad about it yeah. Well, I'm sure they also know that you have a list of ideas that's oh, yeah. you know, constantly well, growing. I mean, 
projects at least. Yeah. I mean, I've got five things going on right now. So adding one more to that is just, it has to be the right thing or it's just not going to, that's the other thing that, you know, am I going to do it justice? You know, this is a cool idea. You're an incredible artist. Am I the person that's right for this? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my capabilities are pretty focused and limited. So yeah. I'm not like a jack of all trades by a long shot. <laughs> well, you have, you have, uh, maybe not all trades, but you have, you have many. <laughs> I, have, so I, I don't know. I, that's, that's generous of you <laughs> to say that. <laughs> well, you can make a record and you can make them uh, make a sense. So those are, those are both, those are good in my book. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to me, they're kind of the same thing, but yeah. Yeah, actually that I'm, I, I'm, I keep trying, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So you just let me know when you got to go, but that did make me think of another question of just like how, how similar is that feeling of inspiration and then execution of that inspiration uh, in the studio versus in the workshop? Well, I think there are some parallels and, you know, especially when you start talking about how long it takes for something to actually come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, p- prior to the pandemic delays with, with, um, hardware, or I guess with records too. Um, I feel like there is, you know, and, and some, I guess in some ways I like prototype music in some ways, cause <laughs> I finish something and I will send it out to some friends who's, um, opinions I value, I guess, or something, or mm-hmm. just, or maybe it's, it's, it's that, but also maybe it's just, that I know they'll actually actually listen to it and give yep, me some yeah. honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess maybe that's kind of like prototype. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I mean, I really <laughs> genuinely want to make music that people will want to, to listen to. I'm not, um, if I just want to play sounds and make music for myself, I can do that all night long. I don't have mm-hmm. to press it on a record and waste you know precious vinyl resources to do it i can just do that by myself so yeah i guess i, guess I do kind of prototype <laughs> prototype the music in some ways <laughs> um and then yeah i think i do think i do think being you know doing make noise is just you develop a level of i've developed a level of patience that i don't think i would have had in my 20s um and so i'm 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 extremely patient with finding the right pieces to arrange a piece of music into, you know, the best that I can do, at least it might not be the best possible permutation of that collection of sounds and notes and timbres and tempos, but I try to make it the best that could come from me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I feel like that comes from, you know, doing make noise for f- 15 years, just, you know, you have to be, you have to have so much patience. So, yeah. Well, I see that. I, I feel like, um, just learning modular has taught me patience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'll add this, speaking of just learning modular, I think, you know, some folks that I've talked to about this have been really surprised how much I like Ableton Live. And <laughs> um, because I, I think it's great. I love it. I, I really enjoy using it. And one of the things that I think allowed me to like Ableton Live is my knowledge of modular because mm-hmm. so much about what makes Appleton Live really interesting and useful and fun, you know, more so than like just using GarageBand or something, is the way that it can be almost patch programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really create influence from one channel to the next. And, and there can be a lot of modulations that can happen, even after you've modulated 
the the modulation of the modular. <laughs> you record that modulated modulation, and then you can further modulate it in Appleton Live. So it's just it's a lot, but mm -hmm. um, and you know all of that kind of came while I was out of making music. So it, when when I got back to it, the folks at Appleton had, had um, we had done a trade. They wanted some synthesizers like a zero coast i think and some other stuff and they had you know traded for a appleton license and i didn't even use it for the longest time and when i finally came back i just blew my mind i thought That's wow like they really did something with this yeah it's i mean i've used i haven't used it in a long time but when i did it's 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 like an instrument in itself um, exactly yeah yeah which is a beautiful thing and then the mm -hmm. cd tools integration um i don't use much from it Mm -hmm. I use the clock mostly and, but it, it's just, it's so useful. It just yeah. having that really tight clock that you can send out to like, I send it to my Tempe and that feeds everything, you know, it'll feed the arpeggiator on an old synth or um, the sequencers, the Renee, the zero control, all the stuff. So having that connection, it's a simple one, but that didn't used to exist. So right. having that is a, a, a real blessing. I mean, it just mm -hmm. makes things come together so much smoother and more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually have got some insight into the, what you were mentioning about make noise, like being in the instrument manufacturing business, teaching you patience as well. It's like, I learned a little patience from the patching of modular, which actually made me better at desktop synthesizers. And then mm -hmm. We know working with um, after later, you know, mm -hmm. we Lenny helped me design. He mostly designed the silly mm -hmm. module that we released, and I was so excited that I just wanted to get it out the door. And now mm -hmm. that I've got one under my belt, and I work there, and I see how how this works and how it's worth waiting in certain ways. Like we're I'm working on another design, mm -hmm. which is going to be actually very useful. It's not going to be a joke module, and I'm very very excited about it. But I'm not trying to push it out the door. Like I'm really yeah. wanting to sit back and make sure it is what I want it to be. Right. Right. And work the yeah. way that, you know, so yeah. And, and I feel like that translates to life. I hope anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So you're there now. You're like, okay, wait, I did it. Mm -hmm. Now I got to do it better. That exactly. takes some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a great place to be. And, and it's, it, uh, it's painful waiting but i don't know i think you'll be happy you i think you'll be happy yeah. you waited if it, if it turns out the way because i just got the first pro functioning prototype and mm -hmm. in the last i got it last week and you know now four days later it's in my head a totally different thing and it's like i've already got it all written out and me and lenny have had a few meetings about it and i feel like if it works the way that i think it can now it should be done but i still got to get that back and play with it and who knows what's going to happen after that so i know it's a fun process oh yeah for sure for sure yeah it's exciting mm -hmm. challenging exciting all the good things mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna let you have the rest of your day yeah you've already been so generous with your time <laughs> um i really appreciate it man this has been a lot of fun yeah yeah it's good to chat all right, that is our show. Thank you so much to Tony Rolando for coming back to Podular Modcast for the third time. Um, I just love that conversation. It's, uh, you know, going back and listening to it again in the editing process was a, was a real treat. And I just feel very lucky to be in a position where uh, I have now had, you know, three plus hours of one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. As I stated earlier in the episode, um, 
yeah, that's just one of my favorite parts of doing this this show is is getting to have these these in depth conversations one on one with all the great minds of uh, the synthesizer world. Um, also, thank you to you for listening. If uh, if this is your first time coming to Podular Modcast, welcome. I hope you stick around. If you've been here for a while, thanks for that. I also hope you still stick around. If you want to help support the show, you can do that a number of ways, one of which is over at patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Uh, that is the beating heart of Podular Modcast. So that's how it goes. That's how it continues to go. Um, that, that wasn't very good, but I'm tired of re-recording my outro because, uh, yeah, here I am explaining myself again. Still working on that one. Thank you to Nathan Moody over at obsidiansound.net if you want to save 10% off of your first mastering project from Nathan. Mention that you heard about him here on PodMod. Also, thank you to Patchworks. I love Patchworks. Tom, Cindy, and the whole crew. They're just the best. Um... I got to see a lot of them recently. It's just, yeah, it's such a great family we have here in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, yeah, if you want to check them out, head over to P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Also, thank you to After Later Audio for your continued support of the show. Um, I love working with and for After Later Audio. Um, we're, we're developing some cool stuff. Uh, I cannot wait for all y'all to see what we've got in store for you. But you can head over to afterlateraudio.com to see what's going on currently. Don't forget, we have copies, but few, limited few copies of the Podular Modcast and Friends Baby Blue Vinyl over at mysterycircles.bandcamp.com. All proceeds go to Mary's Place, an organization helping women, children, and families find their way out of houselessness. So you're doing a good thing by supporting this small label, all of us independent artists, and a charity. I feel like I'm overwhelming you with information, so links to everything that I've mentioned in this outro will be present in the show description, including links to uh, Tony's new album, Breaking is a Memory. I'm telling you, it is one for the books. If you, if you think he's good at module making, well, you should check out his music, because I think he's just as good at making that. Once again, thank you so much for coming back to Podular Modcast. This week's secret word, and for those of you new to the show, the secret word is what you put on the Instagram post as a comment when I, uh, you know, announce this episode on Instagram. And it's, a, it's kind of a little club. It shows that you're, you're in the know. And the secret word is, actually it's a phrase, rope in the wind. Rope in with like an apostrophe, no G, rope in the wind. And for extra credit, you can tell me what that is in reference to. Without looking it up, if you look it up, it doesn't count. Um, and there's no way I'll know that you looked it up, but you will. And that will sit in your heart forever. Rope in the wind. Until next week. <laughs>